Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. When Cork is a little bit darker this morning because of the announcement yesterday evening of the death of one of our own, the hugely, hugely talented uh, Cara O'Sullivan. And there's just a gorgeous photograph of her that was taken by Jim uh, Coughlin making the front page of today's Irish Examiner. And it's above a tribute that has been written by Owen English, who spoke to so many people because so many people last night wanted to pay tribute and it continues today people just wanting to remember Cara O'Sullivan who was absolutely adored by the people of Cork and likewise she adored Cork and adored living in Cork and being with Cork people. She had this incredibly unique voice but I think added to that any of us who were blessed to have interviewed her or to have been in her presence she just had this larger than life uh, personality. She was incredible and people who were lucky enough to call her friend uh, will say what a loyal friend she was and of course many people this morning will be remembering Cara O'Sullivan for the incredible charity work that she did. I mean there was countless charities especially here in Cork who benefited because of Cara O'Sullivan's uh, talent and while we all loved and adored her here in Cork so did audiences all around uh, the world. She had a near 30 year career and during those uh, 30 years she performed let's not forget that in some of the world's biggest stages she performed for example at the Sydney Opera House she performed at the Paris Opera and she also performed at London's uh, Royal Albert Hall and uh, you know while she passed away yesterday so young just uh, 59 she had during her life battled health uh, issues She had a tumour removed from her leg back in the mid-90s and of course out of that she went on to become a great advocate for the Irish Cancer Society and spoke out about the importance of uh, skin cancer checks. I would have spoken with her over the years on that particular uh, topic. Then of course she had the nodules or nodes um, surgically removed from her vocal cords um, a few years later. She had to stay silent uh, in order to let her voice recover and of course for any opera singer or any singer to have to have any any kind of 
work done on their vocal cords is a huge big panic but thankfully her voice uh, came back and it was as sweet and as beautiful as ever and then of course the real sadness for Cara and for her family was when she was uh, diagnosed with dementia in 2018 and that of course went on then to force retirement from singing because if it wasn't for that uh, Cara would still have been singing and then she ultimately had to withdraw from uh, public life and I'm reading a quote from her daughter uh, Christine at the time who said uh, we're all just adjusting to life now dealing with mum's illness every day is a new day and we're trying to make the most of every day it was just so so sad and we pass on our deepest sympathies to her daughter Christine and indeed the rest of Cara's family because while the rest of us mourn her passing they are the ones who have to pick up the pieces and get on get on with life without their uh, much loved uh, family member that is the late Cara Sullivan and we will remember her uh, later on again on the programme but if you have any memories or thoughts to share about the passing of Caro Sullivan we certainly would love to hear from you 1850 Michael O'Sullivan in Castletown Bear is already in with a comment saying Patricia a very dark cloud of immense sadness hangs over Cork and indeed the country this morning with the loss of the beautiful Cara O'Sullivan who will be sadly missed and let us also not forget the over 3,000 souls who have passed away now from COVID-19 in this country it's a sad historic milestone shocking statistics says Michael these Covid victims suffered and many died alone they deserve to be remembered they didn't see their families or their families didn't see them at the end uh, there, there too will be re- repercussions on those left after them may they all uh, rest in uh, peace uh, thank you for that uh, Michael in uh, Castletown Bear and of course we know now that the cabinet ministers uh, signed off on the extension to level five. Everyone was expecting that. We will be talking about that in a couple of minutes with our political editor. But the big one that the newspapers are reporting on today and within the cabinet themselves, there are many fearing that there is going to be a public backlash over the new mandatory quarantine plans that many people believe simply have not gone uh, far enough to stop the spread of the virus. The new quarantine uh, rules will apply only to anybody travelling in from South Africa and Brazil, along with those arriving into Ireland without a negative COVID-19 test. All other passengers will be subject then to mandatory quarantine but that mandatory quarantine is in their own uh, homes. There was a four hour cabinet meeting yesterday and I imagine that it got quite fraught at times. There were some of the ministers raising uh, concerns that the quarantine proposals wouldn't go far enough to stop the spread of the virus. Also many of them accepted it's not going to go far enough to please public demand for tighter controls on our borders. Seemingly at the, min- at the meeting the Culture Minister Catherine Martin and also the Higher Education Minister Simon Harris both called for stronger regulations than were being proposed by the Cabinet Committee on COVID-19. Catherine Martin who was of course the Green Party uh, Deputy Leader, she seemingly told the meeting that she didn't believe the quarantine rules were strict enough because she was worried about the new variants of the virus emerging. She said a larger managed isolation regime was needed if we wanted life to return to any kind of 
of uh, normality. And then questions were also raised at the meeting about how this mandatory quarantining at home could be police. Ministers are also calling for a list of essential workers to be narrowed down because if you are an essential worker then you're allowed to travel overseas and they're trying to say to people we need to limit that list. Sources at the meeting said that the quarantine proposals presented uh, to the gathering needed a lot more work with the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly committed to undertaking the cooperation with departments. So while it got announced it still needs a lot more work. Now obviously opposition party leaders came out in force when the Cabinet made their announcement yesterday. Mary Lou uh, MacDonald of Sinn Féin said it was crazy to expect that people would quarantine in their own homes. She called for all passengers to be put into quarantine hotels. Labour Party leader Alan Kelly, he said the quarantine plans half-baked. He says they're going to confuse the situation. He also said it was a missed opportunity to once and for all set out a a strategy to suppress and contain the uh, virus. Social Democrats co-leader Roisin Shortall, she says there was public support for stronger restrictions and she urged the government to act uh, faster. And I agree with her, there is huge public support. I know yesterday I would say over half of our calls were for people calling for stricter quarantine uh, rules. And the proposals then on international travel that were agreed yesterday by the Cabinet uh, include a commitment to increase the fines for breaches of rules relating to international travel. The Taoiseach said the fines would be €500. Euro. The government also said they would be increased guard the checks and enforcement activity on people making non-essential journeys during uh, lockdown. And then the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan said under the new rules being considered, Gardaí would be able to ask people travelling from the north to the Republic to turn back if they don't have an essential reason for their journey. But what if they say no what if somebody from the north says to a member of Angarda Shiakoni, you don't have jurisdiction over me, you, you know, you're not the boss of me kind of thing. Is there any, what, what enforcement then? I mean, can they issue a fine? Would it, can you issue a fine to somebody in the north and would that fine be uh, paid? And regulations for some of the new rules, by the way, will be signed this week. But new legislation is going to have to be drafted for other elements of the government's travel plan. So while they're saying they're talking about it, there will have to be legislation and the devil will be in the detail and the I's will have to be crossed, dotted and the T's, T's left to be crossed and the I's left to be dotted. And don't you know this time next month we'll have somebody saying, remember they brought... They spoke about bringing in mandatory travel. Why isn't that in yet? And when we'll check it, they'll say, oh, we're waiting on the legislation to go through. And yet, if they if they want to push legislation through, they're always, if it's legislation that really suits them, they always seem to be able to push it through very quickly. But when it's something that's for the greater good of the country, they seem to be always a little bit slow. Is that my imagination or not? John says he can't get, he says, I can't get my head around this uh, self-quarantining in this. He said, who's going to police it? When somebody arrives in this country, what's the first thing they do? They go shopping. They have to buy food. How stupid are the government? Uh, Lockdown till uh, March 5th. Great. Just in time to wet the shamrock. It'll be the same as December. We'll have a huge big party. Guess what'll happen? We'll be back in lockdown in April or May. I'm really looking forward to summer again. What fools we have in this uh, country. Uh, John feels that the current government couldn't run an ant farm. And that's a quote unquote from uh, John. And on the policing of it, the I heard members from Garda Corner saying, well, hang on a tick, we can't enter somebody's house to go in and check to see if somebody is self-isolating. But I think 
on that argument, I would come back and say, well, okay, you don't need to enter somebody's house. But if we have people quarantining at home, then they need to know that they will get, not that they might get, that they will get at any one time during the 14 days, that they'll get at least, at least, I would say, three times. There will be a knock on the door. They only have to stand at the inside, inside the the door. They don't have to, they don't have to leave Angarda Shikona in. But they need to know that there will be spot checks done. I mean, James, who spoke to us yesterday, who'd come back from Brisbane and bless his little heart, he's himself self-isolating in North Tipperary before heading back to West Cork and he's come back from Australia uh, for good. But he was saying, he said he had one text message and it was, are you in the address where you said you would be self-isolating? And he texts back, yes. And that was it. That was the checkup. He said he could have been anywhere. He could have been up in Bandoran, in Boherbui or in Bantry and they wouldn't have known the difference. He would happily accept people knocking on his door a number of times to check that he is at the location that he said he uh, was at. And how many times on this programme have we had listeners contact us to say that their neighbours are just back from the Canaries? Somebody this week said that they had somebody in their housing estate who had been back home in Brazil for Christmas and that they were back and what was the first thing they did? They were up in the city doing doing their shopping. So, you know, John is right. That's the first thing people will do. They will go out and shop. Now, the argument is if you're self-quarantining, then you arrange either for somebody else to do the shopping for you or you get delivery. That's what James from West Cork in North Tipperary is doing. He, before he even left Australia, the Airbnb where he's doing his self-isolation, he got in contact with the owners of that and said, can you sign me up for it with super value? And he and they had the, the bare provisions in that he would need into the Airbnb. And the following day, his food shop arrived. So there are ways around that. But John is right. The, most people, the first thing they'll think about doing is, oh, let's head off to the shops now, will we? And and off they go. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a... Uh, If you're going to ask people to mandatory self-quarantine, then you have to frog march them off the plane. And that's probably a strong word to use, but take them off the plane and you put them into a bus and you bring them straight to the quarantine hotel and you put them into their room and they stay in the room. That's what they're doing in New Zealand. That's what they're doing in Australia. And that's how it's working. So you're either doing it or you're not uh, doing it. And Michael who was sent in that text earlier about the over 3,000 deaths and let's not forget those Irish citizens that have died on our shores since the start of the pandemic. We, we, we did reach that very grim milestone yesterday when there was the announcement of 90 deaths yesterday and that took us over the 3,000 euro mark. 3,066 deaths from the uh, virus. Just such a shocking Shocking uh, figure. Number of newly diagnosed cases, if we want to try and uh, take some bit of good out of yesterday. It has gone below a thousand and going below a thousand to 923. And that was the first time we've gone below a thousand since Christmas Eve. So we've had a month of figures above a thousand. And of course, some of them went scarily high on some days. Hospitals, they're continuing to be under huge, huge pressure. The number of people in hospitals that did fall though uh, Monday into Tuesday, it was down about 150 but those in ICU, slight drop but again we have 216 people in ICU, that is an incredibly high uh, figure. And then the one 
I think, stat and statement that was made yesterday by the Chief Medical Officer, Tony Houlihan, actually sort of, you know, when you hear something and I'm potting around the kitchen and sort of listening to the news and I stopped dead in my tracks when, when, when he said it yesterday. He said, and this is a direct quote from Tony Houlihan, to date, we've reported 96,000 cases in January 2021, which has already passed the total 93,500 cases that were reported in 2020. So on the 27th, 26th of January, so in the the first 26 days of the year, in 26 days, we have reported more COVID positive cases than we did for the entire year of the pandemic whatever it was, nine months from when we had our first case was back in March or was it the end of February? Anyway, for the, for, for the whole of last year, we had 93,500, which was a shocking amount of positive cases. But in this, the month of January, it's just unreal, 96,000. And he gave the example of public health doctors in the Midlands where he said they have, over the eight months, since they started reporting cases in the Midlands. They reported a total of 4,000 cases in the Midlands um, over eight months in 2020. In 2021, the Midlands reported 4,000 cases in the first four weeks of 2021. It is just mind-boggling. Absolutely mind-boggling. And yet we are still pussyfooting around stopping people coming into this country. And the big worry is that we, they will bring in new strains that are not even there at the moment. And I read a piece in today's Irish Independent by Philip Ryan, who put a quote in from Tony Houlihan where he said, Neffet is concerned that as the numbers of Indigenous cases here decline and Ireland move towards easing some measures, the relative importance of the risk of importation of cases from overseas increases that was a quote from Tony Houlihan on the 8th of May last year. At that point in time, he was saying, we are bringing down the cases. We are flattening the curve here in Ireland. We're getting less and less cases every day. Now our big risk is we will import cases from overseas. If we had done what Tony Houlihan was asking on the 8th of May in 2020, where he says where he said to, this is how, this is, he urged, he then urged the government to eliminate as far as possible all non-essential travel. He said failing to do so endangered the resumption of social and economic life and that is exactly what happened. Did they listen to him? No, no, they didn't. And they certainly didn't consider what he said back in May and the advice that he gave them in the months leading up to Christmas when the British variant of COVID uh, was we were starting to talk about it being in the UK. It wasn't on our shores yet. So if they'd listened to what he was even saying back in May, we mightn't be in the mess we are in uh, today. And we're in more than a mess when you think of those over 3,000 families who are without their loved ones because of COVID-19. We, they can just, at times you feel like thinking our government, they just need to hang their head in shame. And are we in years to come when we will write in the history books about this pandemic? It, you can nearly write the history books now in pointing out what they did right 
and what they did wrong. A lot of people uh, commenting and very annoyed about the fact that there isn't stricter lockdowns um, to, and a stricter quarantine rules uh, taking place. A listener said, uh, Patricia, people love all the rules that the government said yesterday. They must love being prisoners in their own country. Will the Gardaí stand outside the house of everybody who is self-isolating? I think not. Uh, also, we haven't a clue who's coming into this country. I'm sick and tired of the lockdown again. I live on my own and I haven't seen anyone in the last uh, five weeks. I really am getting sick uh, of uh, it. Uh, uh, chin up and trying when the weather look it's going to the weather's going to get a little bit brighter the evenings there it's a little bit of a stretch already in the evenings try and get out for a walk you can still be out and about just be very careful be mindful of yourself keep your two metres away uh, from uh, people and reach out to people is there somebody you can call can you ring somebody lots of other ways to try to connect uh, with people but uh, you know hang in there this too will pass this too will pass it just seems very bleak at the moment but uh, things will get better somebody else is saying if people are going on sun holidays they're not going to self-isolate when they come back actually I saw the people a lot of the people that are returning at the moment a lot of people returning home at the moment are people who went away on holidays uh, for Christmas and they're returning uh, home but yeah can you see local people self-isolating certainly any calls we've had in from people with neighbours coming back from the Canaries or whatever and that they did they were almost boasting about what a great sun holiday they had and no intentions at all of um, self-isolating yeah so you're, you're probably right on that one uh, Patricia what a joke you could hardly cross the street yesterday in Bantry with the amount of uh, traffic no control uh, whatsoever Where, what are the Gardaí uh, doing uh, um, what are the Gardaí doing signed a very frightened uh, listener uh, asking everyone to please uh, keep uh, safe. I'll get back to your uh, comments uh, because I want to go to our political editor Sean Defoe uh, who joins us uh, yesterday to talk about what was announced yesterday. Good morning to you Sean. Morning Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now with the Covid positive figures still so high, uh, the government really had no other choice but to extend the national lockdown. That was completely expected wasn't it? Uh, yeah, because I don't think anyone, or if they did, they were certainly deluding themselves that the lockdown that was in place was going to end anytime soon. And now we have the date, it's March 5th. Again, government sources stressing that's not a fixed end date, that is a possible date, and perhaps even a renewed date for this going even further. And Nihal Martin stressing during the press conference yesterday that it is because of the hospital numbers. We're seeing the daily numbers come down, obviously, and they're hopefully going to be quite low by the end of February. But the number of people in hospital, the number of people in ICU, it's still way too high and it's still probably going to be way too high by the end of February, start of March as well. So March the 5th for now, but because a number of our listeners are saying, does that mean that we open up for, for Paddy's Day and that everyone will be out celebrating and it'll be a bit like Christmas all over again? But that's no. unlikely. No, Leo Varadkar was asked specifically about that. In fact, he was asked about almost every bank holiday uh, straight through till Christmas and yesterday said, no, there is not going to be a normal St. Patrick's Day. Don't expect the pubs and hospitality to open by then. He did say that he was somewhat hopeful, optimistic and, and perhaps misplaced optimism is what he said himself, that the hospitality sector might open up in the summer, uh, but then went on to say it entirely depends on the numbers and entirely depends on the variants as well, because we thought it would be okay at Christmas. The UK variant seems to have played a part in seeing skyrocketing numbers that nobody predicted at all, and so we can't really tell what's going to happen down the line, and he went as far to say uh, that he can't guarantee international travel would happen by the summer, he can't even guarantee that international travel would happen by Christmas. Mandatory two-week quarantine that got announced yesterday. Can you do your best to explain that to us? Yeah, it, it's quite...
quite a limited quarantine, I think we should say. So it's a mandatory two-week quarantine. So what that means, someone uh, arriving into the country from one of three places, so uh, from South Africa, from Brazil, or if they arrive here from anywhere else without having had a negative PCR test in the previous three days, they will have to uh, mandatory quarantine in a hotel picked by the state for two weeks. They will be able to, uh, if they haven't had a PCR test, get out of that after five days if they have a negative test at that point but for the rest of them they will have to stay in a a mandatory two-week quarantine. And people quarantining at home that now becomes mandatory whereas it had been it had been it had been a suggestion before they would have been there was the right thing to do but now it is mandatory. It had been advisory. How is that that going to be policed? Well, this is the question that everyone wants answers at the moment, including myself. So there's two things with it, right? Firstly, it's not going to happen immediately because they have to do uh, various regulations and there are uh, more legal difficulties, I understand, with enforcing a quarantine for anyone coming from the EU than there are with non-EU member states. Well, they could do it quite easily for South Africa and Brazil. There's a few more complications uh, in relation to European law. That's what's holding this up a little bit. The policing is a big issue because, as we know, this regime has been in place for a long time. It has been the case that you were advised if you arrive into Ireland, you need to self-isolate, be that in a room, in a house, wherever it is you're particularly going, uh, for two weeks before you can go out. That is going to be made a legal provision and punishable by fines. We don't see the amount yet, but the, the talk is somewhere kind of between the 100 and 500 euro range. But the difficulty, even listening to some Garda representatives talking this morning, is of course enforcing that because we know some people haven't been putting the right numbers on their passenger locator forms. Uh, is it going to be Garda calling out the doors? Are they going to have powers to go into uh, people's homes, which obviously has constitutional issues then uh, around the, the uh, certain rights to privacy that people have? So it, w- it wasn't fleshed out enough to my liking, certainly at the press conference yesterday, in terms of the detail of how it will actually be enforced. More of a, a, a good idea without the backing of it, I would say, at the moment. So we'll have to see if further detail comes up. Schools. A lot of parents are asking, was there any mention of when schools will reopen? I know Leo Radker took the main question on the schools. He did, and uh, he said that they are still hopeful that schools can be open on a phase basis from February, starting with special needs education. Obviously, they botched the first attempt to get that open. The talks are ongoing this week between the department and the unions, and they seem a little bit more cordial than they had been, certainly in the last couple of weeks. And what Leo Varadkar said was on a, a phased basis, so while it hasn't been confirmed yet, reading between the lines, you could probably expect they will get special education back first and then perhaps exam years, six years, would be able to return uh, on, a, on a smaller level and then looking at wider, uh, the wider school population I- into, uh, into the rest of March, all depending on the numbers. So we don't have a, a definite timeline, if you like, but what Leo Varadkar did say is at the moment the number of new cases uh, is halving every 10 days. So you could realistically expect that in 20 days' time, 30 days' time, the numbers of new cases will be lower than they were before Christmas when the schools were actually open. That is the hope at some point in February and certainly into early March that they can get back. Uh, Somerset, could you ask Joan, is there any sign of when construction will go back? Initially, they were kind of linking construction with the reopening of schools. Uh, They were, and it wasn't mentioned at the press conference yesterday, but I did ask the department about this. And what I was told is that the expectation is construction as the rules as it is now, i.e. some very limited construction sites can be open, they are going to stay until March 5th. Now, at the Cabinet subcommittee on Monday, some ministers were kind of positing that Darrell O'Brien might make a push 
to get them open a little bit earlier than that in February if the numbers are coming down because, of course, all of construction is meant to be open in Level 5. But as it stands at the moment, the current rules that apply are staying until March 5th until further advice. Okay, and the government are saying there will be increased guard the checkpoints and enforcement. Yes, uh, particularly in and around the, the ports and airports too. And it was an interesting question actually that I, I put to Eamon Ryan yesterday because they can find people who are going on non-essential journeys but we don't have any clarity as to whether they can actually turn them back if they're planning to go on a foreign holiday. I asked them at the press conference whether someone going to Dublin Airport, for example, from Cork to fly to the Canaries uh, could just be fined or could actually be turned around and he kind of dodged around the issue saying, oh, well, we hope with all the restrictions that people wouldn't be doing that. But we know uh, from anecdotal evidence, certainly, that some people are. So there is going to be extra enforcement. Those fines for breaches are going to increase. So you've seen, no doubt, on the guard of Twitter and in other places where they're putting up that someone is uh, 60 kilometres from their home to buy a burger or has gone 30 kilometres to go to the beach or whatever. And you can debate back and forth whether it's proportionate they would get punished anyway. Um, but those fines for... Um, excessive breaches, if you like, at the five kilometre route are going to increase from 100 euro to 500 euro, which is quite a significant mm, level. Mm, that might make people stop and think about going 60 kilometres for a, a mm. burger. And I saw, I heard Damon Ryan again, uh, you know, saying that the Gardaí would be able to ask people travelling from the north to the Republic uh, if they were gone past the five kilometres over the border uh, to turn back. What if somebody from the north says no? You know, you're not the yeah, boss of me. <laughs> exactly, yeah, you're, you're, you're not my government. Um, yeah. This is what, the, uh, what a lot of guards are wondering, because at the moment they don't have the power to do that. And it's in one of these loopholes in the legislation, really, that if someone comes into Northern Ireland, they weren't really able to be punished under Irish law here. So they could drive from Belfast to Belmullet uh, and not be punishable, but someone who was living, you know, went six kilometres outside of their zone. Uh, living here could actually be punished. Now, what the government has said is they are going to introduce legislation. It's obviously a little bit complicated by the fact you're dealing with another state and another state outside of the EU. But certainly the intention is to bring people who are coming uh, from Northern Ireland into here under the same rules that they can be punished for breaches and turned back, as Eamon Ryan suggested. But that legislation isn't done yet and we don't know when it was done. So a lot of what you're saying that got announced yesterday all looks great on paper, but we don't know when it's going to come in because of the legislation. Yes, some of us, uh, and uh, Michal Martin suggested that some of the regulations are relatively easy to do and might be done by the end of the week and maybe approve it at all next week. Others could take a number of weeks and still have legal provisions to be worked out. So it, it's not this case of, oh, we've announced it and now it's in place. It could actually be some weeks. And we've seen this before with uh, with things like some of the fines the Gardaí have had the power to give out. They're announced and then it emerges three weeks later that they come into place rather than the kind of a three-week time lag, if you, if you like, to get the legislation to catch up with what the politicians are saying. OK. All right. Listen, uh, Sean, a pleasure as always. Thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks a minute. Cheers. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Sean Defoe, our political uh, editor. <sighs> there you have it. They made the announcement, but we, we need to have the uh, legislation. Uh, Mary Mallow says, Patricia, there's over 100,000 in the UK today, uh, people shouting for Boris Johnson to uh, resign. Uh, people aren't happy with the way he is handling it in the UK. Staying with the UK, people went on unreal mixing over Christmas. That's why we have those scary figures that you mentioned earlier on. Plus, we had a lot of people who came home from England for Christmas and many of them brought the virus. And can I say unknowingly bought the virus? Nobody got on a plane or a boat and deliberately bought the virus uh, with them. 
1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Cork today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. This week's Cork County Council meeting elected representatives aired their frustration that the national broadband rollout is simply too slow and urgently needs to be fast-tracked. Um, among those airing their frustration was West Cork Fianna Fáil councillor Deirdre Kelly who joins me. Good morning to you Deirdre. Good morning Patricia. Deirdre, the closure of schools with students working remotely from home and of course people working from home as well. Has that really highlighted how important a decent broadband service is? Yes, absolutely, Patricia. Um, I suppose I've been dealing with this since um, exam time last June, May, June, um, when I was approached by parents of um, of um, secondary or um, third level students who needed somewhere to sit their exams because they were um, sitting their exams off campus, obviously, and they didn't want to take the chance of sitting the exams at home in the event that they they wouldn't receive a connection, a broadband connection. So um, I approached the director of the Brook Park Enterprise Centre in Dunmanway to see if we could um, allow the students. To to sit their exams in Brook Park uh, Enterprise Centre. That's that's the um, the gravity of the situation on the ground in West Cork. And you're obviously again now that schools haven't reopened after Christmas. Are you hearing from students who are struggling? Yes, absolutely, a hundred percent. I was um, speaking to a mother yesterday who uh, her daughter is, a, is a, a primary school teacher, and she can't even upload the information for her um, students because the system keeps crashing. And look, I suppose that's not ideal, and it's adding to the anxieties of, of students and, and, and teachers alike. You know, not not to mention people who are remote work working remotely from home. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and you you'd have to have huge sympathy for leaving cert students because some of them are being put at a disadvantage, especially when grades are so important to them this year. Well, look, I, yes, that that, that is uh, adding to adding to the the um, the anxieties of the students, and hopefully we will have a decision on that. Um, um, hopefully, but look, the very fact that they can't access their their um, curriculum from their teachers is is not ideal, and it, and and the situation needs to be addressed urgently. Okay, stay there because I want to bring in uh, North Cork Councillor Frank O'Flynn who raised this issue at the council meeting. Good morning to you, Frank. Uh, Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, listeners. Frank, you actually spoke about a student who missed out on an exam because of his broadband. Yes, I had PhD students and I had exceptionally a case in the Arden Silvert area um, above the Mountain Barracks Assembly whose son was doing an actuarial exam. He had the exam and all done and then he was unable to post it. And he had to be posted by 12 o'clock. He rang him in Cork to know he actually got no decision. Once it wasn't posted for 12 o'clock, so he had to repeat a full year. Which oh, is that's that's year. shameful. That is Absolutely. shameful. And that are you hearing that. now from families struggling who are trying to get their children Zoom classes and trying to get them accessing their education online? Oh, I, I, as I said at the meeting, uh, it's the biggest issue at the moment, listeners. It's even bigger now than housing. The number of calls that either council are getting emails cause people frustrated as there's more and more working from home. We're encouraging remote living. We're encouraging working from home. The minister last weekend even said it. Our chief executive in Cork County Council is making even less than 20% of the staff now. More and more. But at the moment, you people working from home. You sons and daughters are leaving stuff and doing stuff. You trying to study. More and more getting used to this. There's a new way of living. Because I said to me, there's a new norm. And people are frustrated. There's no service whatsoever. And there's no, there's no information what is happening. 
secondary when it's an extra broad service what we rolled out and what I'm calling for listeners is to improve and we want to know when it's delivered the broadband service plan when is it likely to be rolled out and could be at this stage because we are throwing money at everything at the moment why can't we put funding into it this is a necessity it is more important now even you could say last week I was talking about water people now are very very frustrated well, I remember when we started talking about it, people were liking it to rural electrification and people thought that that was a stupid analogy, but it is almost as important as the rural electrification was uh, back in, in the 40s and 50s. And Deirdre, last week we had the National Broadband Plan connect their first rural uh, home. It was um, it was a house in, in Cork. Uh, and, you know, they say we're, we're working away. I was reading this morning that they currently have operations underway in all 26 counties and they expect the number of premises under construction to be in excess of 130,000 by the end of the year. In your opinion, is it just not quick enough? No, Patricia, it's not it's, it's not acceptable, especially as, as uh, Councillor O'Flynn stated there. Um, it, it needs to be expedited. And, you know, at the very least, and I think it was uh, Councillor O'Flynn mentioned at the meeting on Monday as well, that um, we need, we need uh, officials from Broadband Ireland to address one of our meetings to at least provide us with a timeline. You know, just um, putting um, pie-in-the-sky dates such as the end of the year or whatever is, is not acceptable anymore. We need concrete um, timelines so that we can advise people who are constantly phoning us uh, in relation to this matter. I mean, we've, as I said, we've been highlighting it for the since last year. And I know my uh, other colleague, um, Councillor Gillian O'Coughlin, uh, Gillian Coughlin stated um, at one of our meetings that people were driving to the church car park yeah, and yeah, to access broadband. Yeah, we, I mean, it's not, exce- that's, it's not acceptable. That's, that's just not good enough. And uh, Frank, I mean, if you go on to the National Broadband Plan, you know, you can check, you can check on the rollout plan and uh, when you can expect to get it. But I mean, they're saying that the rollout is not due to be complete, completely finished until 2027. I mean, that's just too long to wait. Well, that's one reason I put down my motions, because people are frustrated. They want to know exactly Deirdre or, uh, and, and uh, Patricia and Listos. When is it going to happen? We have some people now, they go on the map, and their area is now another two years. We want to know, is it two years, three years? Some areas are going to five to seven years. So what I'm calling is that the National Broadband Senior Management will come into us in Cork County Council and outline to us what is their plan. And is it at all possible? So I also propose that full support. There was about 24 councillors actually spoke. Meeting was on Zoom. Quite a, a lot of interest on it. It was one of the most discussed emotions, I'd say, for the last five or six yeah. months. The biggest what? issue at the moment. And can we, in rural Ireland, can we wait any longer? We need it now. And you're talking to Patricia about electricity. There was no technology. There was no loaders. There was no... But they got on with it and they put it in place. And I want to know what is holding up. We have no modern technology now. We can put him fire a rocket to the moon and we can even uh, to, 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 uh, to, uh, stop it going there. The technology is there at the moment and the, the equipment is there and the contractors are there. I cannot see. We cannot wait any longer. Okay. We want this okay. We want okay. This okay, listen, we leave it there. Uh, thank you. That is uh, Councillors Deirdre Kelly and uh, Kevin Murphy. And a, there is a survey out from Comreg that says a quarter of people say their broadband service has got worse since the start of the pandemic. I'm going to take a quick break and then we're back hearing from a councillor who is raising the issue of poor mobile phone coverage. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy. The Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The drama is sensational. That's 80. Oh, oh he's done it. It's an equalizer. It's stoppage time. Ah. 
and it's all right here. Grealish for seven! Join me, Trevor Welch, on c103.ie for the Premier League Live online, powered by TalkSport. Go, go. Join us Saturdays as we bring you pre-match analysis with some of the biggest names in the game. Live commentary, exclusive interviews, and don't miss the post-match breakdowns. Go, go. The Premier League Live Online with Now TV. Stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sports on the Now TV Sports Extra Pass. Listen every Saturday on the C103 app or cc103.ie. Just spoken about uh, the rollout of broadband and the need for broadband in rural areas, an issue that was raised at uh, a recent Cork County Council meeting. Fine Gael Councillor Kevin Murphy. Uh, also, that meeting highlighted poor mobile phone reception. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, wh- How are you? Uh, I'm very, I'm very good. Where were you highlighting poor mobile phone reception? In, in several areas. We were talking terms up to the yesterday and the day before about the neglect of the mobile cover in rural Ireland. But I'm talking about the mobile cover and the broadband problems in Bandon Town, which is part of my constituency as well. And I highlighted that about six or eight months ago and more, new estates, the northern side of Bandon Town, have difficulty and desperate difficulty with uh, with broadband and also mobile phone cover. So a mobile phone cover is a tricky one now because a lot of people don't have landlines anymore. They rely absolutely. they rely on their mobile phone if God forbid they needed to access emergency services. And for people who are trying to work from home, it must be impossible absolutely. to do it without a phone. You what you're, what we are discussing what we're discussing now has been discussed ad nauseum with the providers, if you like, and seemingly until such time as we get masked proper masks up in all these difficult areas, they will be still without broadband and they will still be without mobile phone cover. And is there any talk of putting up the masks? Well, first of all, um, I think there was several surveys done on what I'm talking about uh, in the area itself and they found that it's a purple area, which a purple area would mean it's a very bad area, uh, the worst area you can find. And uh, they said that will be <clears throat> a while before they get broadband and before they get mobile cover into that area. And that's that's literally their answer. And that's exactly the problem with it. That if they're not interested in putting up a mess, then effectively you won't have you won't have uh, mobile cover so, or broadband either person talking. So no people just have to get on with it. Exactly, and and unfortunately, I think we'll find out. I go on the previous interviews with the two the two uh, members of the council, uh, Frank and 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 Deirdre. And all I say in that case is that uh, is that there, there seems to be no interest in in improving a place where it is in a blue area or in a, in a kind of a purple area. It's too expensive. So I tell you now, even even my own mobile phone in the last eight or nine years has been shocking up to recently. And thanks to Ida Lily. Um, my neighbours, they have put up a mask over there, which has improved. Proof, the yeah. So it can be done. Yeah. If there's it, a will, if there's a will, it can Absolutely. be done. Absolutely. Okay. No, was just back and go back on that on that interview we had already, uh, Patricia. I'm, del- I'm delighted that there was so much controversy about broadband inside the council last year on because 
really and truly there has been a major delay uh, in, in, in approving that yeah, scheme and, for uh, and some, something it. has to be done telling people so will be completely be finished in 2027 is just not good yeah. enough Kevin I have to leave it there good. thank you for that and sure. uh, thanks uh, for joining us that's Fine Gael Councillor Kevin Murphy going to take a break News at 11 on the way Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor home business farm life and health insurance cmig.ie You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. I've just had a press release in from the Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Joe Kavanagh, to tell me he's going to open a book of condolences at noon to mark the passing of the renowned Cork soprano, uh, Cara O'Sullivan. He, as Joe says that... um, the uh, Caro Sullivan was the inaugural recipient of the Corks Cultural Award in 2019 in recognition of her, extending, her outstanding contribution to the artistic and cultural life in Cork. The Lord Mayor of Cork said there was a deep sadness in Cork and across the country last night when we learned the death of one of our greatest talents and one of our most wonderful personalities. Cara was blessed with a voice that could stop you in your tracks when she was played on the radio. To have seen her perform in Cork City Hall on numerous occasions was to have been truly privileged, he said, or yesterday, Garev and Anam Delish. And the book of condolences will go live on www.corkcity.ie and it will go live at 12 noon today if you want to offer your uh, condolences on the passing of uh, Carol O'Sullivan and thanks to the Lord Mayor of Cork for that. And then one of our listeners wants to know, could you please ask please if there's any store in the Bandon area that are stocking Seville oranges for marmalade? Anyone in the Bandon area stocking Seville oranges for marmalade or if you were out doing your shopping did you manage to uh, spot it anywhere ideally in the Bandon area please if you can let us know and we can pass on the details to our listener and then a number of people on about the broadband issue that we discussed and poor mobile phone uh, coverage that we discussed in the last hour. Somebody saying how come we have to pay in full for a service that we are not getting 100% that is really really frustrating and someone else said, where's it gone on? This is from Jerry. Jerry says, hi, Patricia, we will be lucky to see, this is the rollout of national broadband, we'll be lucky to see it in a few years' time. And then by the time we do get the broadband, it'll be outdated with the new 5G system. The contractor has been paid by the government billions of euro without deadlines or any idea of when the, what the service will involve. And Jerry says, poor mobile phone service is an issue all over the country, not just here in Cork. 4G broadband is cellular and used by mobile phone users and broadband users. Companies are not interested in updating these systems, says uh, Jerry. So we'll just have to press on uh, poor broadband and poor mobile phone, which really isn't good enough. Thank you for your text, Jerry, to 0862 103 103. We have been talking about quarantining and why and how we should be quarantining and every time it gets mentioned the government have a reason as to why it can't work and then people are talking about this idea of mandatory quarantining at home and the big question is how will it be policed and will it will work will it work well Kay uh, joins me with a story to share on this topic uh, good morning to you Kay good morning Patricia you, how are you I'm very well thank you you have a relative in the States who ended up having to do home quarantining was it she did okay yeah. what happened she had to go down to Ohio and when she flew back then she had to self-quarantine for 10 days at home okay and every one of those 10 days a sheriff came to the house 
a different sheriff every day at a different time every day to make sure she was there and she had to sign a piece of paper to say he called and she was at home. And she never knew what time of the day the sheriff would call? No. <laughs> and you, every, she got every 10 visits? Every single day for whoa, 10 days. Whoa, Yeah. My um, goodness. Yeah, and that was, that was in a part of New York. Where they have millions of people. Millions so, of so if they can do it in New York. Yeah, that's what I felt. Yeah. If they can do it there. And I mean, and there was no question that she wasn't going to do it anyway. Yeah. You know, but um, yeah, that's, I, I couldn't believe when she said to me, yeah, every single day. And we know, called. we know America has been badly hit by uh, COVID-19. Hit. It has. But one of the best cities has been New York. Yes. And probably because they're doing that? Because they're doing all that kind of stuff, yeah. So so your point is, you can do home quarantining, but it needs to be policed properly? Yes. Yeah. You uh, know, and I mean, I feel if, if they can police it properly in a place like that, they should be able to do it here. Yeah, and the other thing is, it isn't going to be tens of thousands of people, realistically. No. It isn't going to be. No. Everyone is assuming, because there's very few flights in and out of the country, that yeah. realistically, it would, it, it, and it would turn people off. No, nobody's going to go on a two-week sun holiday if they knew that they had to stay in their house for two weeks when they come back. So no, like, and I'll tell you then, um, in New Zealand, um, there's nobody stopping you going out of the country on holidays, but you have to isolate for a week before you come back in. Yeah. And when you come back in, you have to go to a designated hotel for two weeks and pay for it yourself. Well, it's about 2,000 euro. It's not 3,000. It's 3,000. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. It's not cheap. And, and I mean, nobody has to tell you then that you can't go on holidays because that's, that is determined to know. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay, listen, thank you for that Please. and stay safe. You too. Thank and uh, you. thanks for joining us. 1850 I suppose where there is a will, there's a way. And if they want to do it, they can uh, do it. A reminder to you, we are still running our competition this Oh, right across this week with the wonderful Coolmore Cakes in West Cork. And they've given us these gorgeous hampers with 12 of the most delicious cakes uh, in them, in each hamper. And we have four hampers to give away every day, as we've been doing all week. Don't do it now. Just put your thinking caps on and we'll get you. We'll tell you when you can put your entries in for today. We'll be asking you to text or WhatsApp us with a sweet message, a card or an email that you got from family or friends. We'll let you know when you can send it in to us and then we will select four winners and each winner will receive one of these gorgeous hampers from Coolmore Cakes. They're bakers of artisan loaf cakes in Bandon. And some of the cakes in there include a coffee and walnut cake. There's carrot cakes in there. There's chocolate fudge cakes as a Black Forest Gatto cake and an orange chocolate cake. They really are delicious. So hold off on that, but we're doing it again today. Some of your thoughts coming into us by text. Hi Patricia, if we close the ports to non-essential travel, if we had done it last March, all businesses would be open now. We had a load of camper vans arrive at Easter. They were here again in June. They were here again on the August bank holiday. And would you believe they were back in again at Christmas. The government said that the spike at Christmas wasn't down to foreign travel. Well, look what happened in the West Limerick area. Uh, they got an awful number of COVID cases, particularly around Rathkeel and Newcastle West. And that was to do with people travelling into the area. A local councillor warned the government that it was going to happen. Uh, and they came from many different uh, countries. What a joke. We will never see an end of uh, 
this if we don't get some control. Uh, Alan in Formoy says, Morning Patricia, I'm texting about the restrictions. The amount of people in cars in Formoy is just like that there's no virus at all. I collect food and other things for people who are actually staying at home, but it's like certain people think they're immune to this virus. The amount of people going in and out of other people's homes, absolutely frightening. I've seen people talking, wearing no masks at all. Are people really that thick or that stupid? Because Patricia, you know something? I think they are pure stupidity. And that's from Alan in uh, from Moy. Mavis says, we've had nobody in our house since March of last year. We should have been over and back to England a couple of times last year, but we were simply too scared to travel. We have all of our shopping delivered and we only go out for essential trips like medical appointments. They are still talk they are still taking part in sports the government are talking about travelling to america for st patrick's day people like us are conforming but we're climbing the walls i've a large track around my garden as we are only allowed to go 5 kilometers and i don't like walking the laneways because of the traffic it makes me nervous they seem there seems to be different rules for the government and different rules for us minions Why don't they just make a decision to close everything, lock everything down, including the borders? They fiddle faddle around. For God's sake, we're getting sick of it. Just walk the walk and stop talking the talk. That's a good, great text in from Mavis. Stay safe, uh, Mavis, and uh, good health to you. Somebody else says, well, they could see the plan A, which was seesawing in and out of lockdowns, wasn't working. So why wasn't plan B being prepared for? They are able to pay themselves well. They should be earning it. God help us all, says a texter. Someone says, I'm sick of COVID. We're making no progress on the vaccines. What is what has been done here would be done in a day in the UK. Why is that? It's uh, well time to wake up, Dr. Tony. We can't blame Tony Houlihan for the vaccines and the reason we don't have enough vaccines coming into the country. We are tied in with an EU agreement and we get a percentage of vaccines. That's, I mean, in the, in the UK on this vaccine issue is showing why. I does not often I'd say there was a good reason for the UK to have done Brexit and, and left the EU, but they're on their own, so they're just buying their own vaccines. We're tied in with the EU and we're dependent on the EU and they break it down based on the population of each country. We're a smaller population, so we get a percentage, I think it's 1% of the daily doses that are purchased and that's how we get our vaccines. That's that. So we can't blame, certainly can't blame an effort. We can't even blame the government on this one. This is an EU uh, decision. Hi, Patricia. Believe me when I say I know about COVID-19. I lost a family member too. It's sorry to hear that. Condolences to you. But I'm fed up with the lockdown. The government seems to be pulling, dragging their feet as regards the vaccine. We know with a couple of months about the vaccine being there, but the government can't get it because of storage, etc. problems. We would like we would like to tell them we would drive to Dublin if we wanted to get a vaccine and then the person's going on to the government. But again, I reiterate what I said before, their hands are tied. It's, it's down to the uh, EU. Uh, but this listener makes the point that when Jack Lynch was in charge, if there was a free bottle of milk going, Cork got it uh, first. We're not feeling that kind of love today for sure. Uh, Rita says, I was feeling really down yesterday and then guess what? I got a bouquet of flowers and a lovely encouraging message from my granddaughter. She's a midwife working on the front line every day in Cork. But her unselfish thoughtlessness for me really cheered me up and made my day. And that's from Rita. That's gorgeous, uh, Rita. And that just shows small things that people can do. And that's why I know people are feeling down. 
And that's why I'm always saying to people, keep in contact. Is there somebody that you could ring? Is there somebody you haven't telephoned in, in quite some time? Is there somebody you want to send a card uh, to? Just small little gestures like that really can people uh, going. And someone else says they wouldn't listen to Dr. Tony, a man who knows his job. They would rather follow uh, the like-minded idiots of Europe, says someone. And Mary says the number of cases that you mentioned are really not the true figures, Patricia, for the virus. As remember, there's been no tracing of close contacts of confirmed cases for the past three weeks. So you have to add in there are a lot more cases walking around people who are asymptomatic. Uh, keep safe, everyone says uh, Mary. And you're right. I mean, all the only figures we get are the figures of the number of people who are actually tested and to test uh, positive. There will be also, don't know what the percentage would be, who are not tested, who are going around with COVID. But you are correct. The numbers that we give are certainly, and we will never know the actual number uh, because we'll never know how many people actually had COVID-19 and didn't even realise they had it. 1850 John Paul, taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs Bookkeeping position available in Mallow while Irish Yogurts in Clonakilty they've got vacancies for general operatives a kitchen fitter slash cabinet maker is required North Cork or Cork City based please and a book keeper slash office administrator that's wanted for work in uh, Skibbereen You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Two weeks on from the publication of the damning Mother and Baby Home Commission report, we are checking back in with social historian Catherine Corliss, who many people acknowledge only for her work in tune. This report may never have come to fruition. And I'd like to say Catherine Corliss uh, joins us. Good morning to you, Catherine. Hello, how are uh, you? I'm, uh, Patricia, yeah. I've just, uh, just corrected there again. Yeah. I'm not, in case people expect too much of me, I'm no. not a social historian at all. I, I, we, I, uh, I started with a bit of local history and yeah. I did some research and I came across this atrocity. Uh, I'm always afraid people will expect some, something uh, more than I'm capable of. No, no, no nobody would, would ever expect that. And I think you okay. are right to have every accolade like that put at you. Uh, I think you are. No. I think you are. You will go down in history, I think, as a wonderful social historian, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. So we'll leave it there. Now, okay. we spoke with you the day after the report was published and yes. you were at that stage trying to, to read it. How are you feeling now that you've managed to digest some or all of the contents? Well, I haven't digested it all. I have uh, a bit of spot reading here and there because it has been impossible. It, I've, I've, I've gone through uh, many, many interviews in the last few days and a lot of uh, posts came in as well, people looking for help. And I have been at that really and truly. And I've only had a chance really to look here and hither and thither, you could say. But I mean to say, no matter how you read the report, what is just really jumping out at us is inadequacy in our minds and just uh, not what the survivors were looking for exactly. So that really speaks louder than anything else that's in that report. The women, the brave women, from the 500 women who did go forward to share their stories. Yeah. Are they feeling left down? 
Well, from this, uh, from the tomb area, from it's mainly survivors I deal with because the home closed in 1961, and uh, very few mothers are left around. There are a few in England, but uh, as as you can imagine, uh, those uh, women, I, I don't know, maybe they're no longer with us. But uh, as regards the tomb area, survivors uh, themselves who are born in the home that I am dealing with, and they they feel that they didn't get fair play at all. And especially even though their mothers are no longer around, they just they want proper justice for them. So we know they've got the apology. We've got the apology right across the board now from the state, from the church, from uh, the religious and from lately from the Galway County Council. But uh, words are fine. But what are they going to do now? And we still wait and wonder what's going to come out of all this when everything, you know, in the weeks and months to come, what exactly are, are all those... Uh, uh, the, the, the state church and the whole lot. What are they going to do for survivors? That is the question, really. Yeah, and, and like you, I haven't read the entire report. I've I've dipped in, in and out of it. I started getting frustrated with it because it it felt very sterile, uh, almost the way well, it was. Yeah, the way it good. was, the way yeah. it was uh, written, and and I was thinking for for the women, and then listening to some of the women. Some of them spoke with us here, and certainly listening yeah. to the women who shared their stories with them. Um, Joe Duffy, they yeah. really felt that even what they had said, yeah, it, it wasn't reflected in the report. It, it wasn't because I mean, first of all, they said that they weren't forced to give up their children. Now, what on earth do the commission? Uh, what 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 do they call forced? I mean to say they were coerced and they didn't have a choice and they were given no choice and they were coerced into that they just had to do that that was best for the child and that I mean you couldn't they were told you couldn't bring a child back into the community because of church teaching and what what on earth were they to do and then to blame them and to say that they had the choice and to say that they weren't forced now that's an awful hurt and an awful insult for the mothers it it was just it was just terrible and I don't know the report was clinical as you said. It was a more of a less a statistical report. It wasn't aimed at mothers and and children and survivors at all. And that's that's what we thought. You see, we didn't realise what, what this commission was doing. I read in today's papers that the authors of the report are to be invited to appear before the Oireachtas Children's Committee. Now, I do know that the Justice um, Yvonne uh, uh, Murphy has received a letter from the from the committee. She's not required to go. And I think the problem is that this was independent of the government and some are querying what practical outcome would come from the from the judge's appearance uh, at at the committee. But would you like to see something like that, like the the judge being brought in and just to try and get her understanding of where she was coming from with it. Yes, yes, that would help, absolutely. Because at the moment, I mean, she's been, maybe she's been scapegoated with whatever way the, it was, the whole thing was set up for her. And I think it would, people are asking for that. If the judge would just come out and just say, look, I had to stick by the rules, I had to to do this. Uh, Catherine Colony uh, uh, for in uh, TD, she, she put it very well when she said it was if the commission if the commission of inquiry was given a paint by number set and I thought it was a very accurate mm. description of what they must have had to do. They just had to keep within the terms of reference. Now <clears throat> at the time, uh, well myself or others who weren't wouldn't be all fair with the government and their policy, we didn't really understand at the time that the terms of reference would be so tight when we saw, uh, we were called up to James Riley at the time. He was Minister for Children uh, back in 2014. And uh, when he explained the terms of reference, it sounded completely different than what we know now. 
<laughs> we thought they were going to cover everything for the survivors and for the mothers, but that wasn't the way it was at all. And that's what the survivors and the survivors and the mothers, I think more than anything, wanted their voices heard. This is what happened. This is my truth. And that just doesn't seem to be reflected in, in the report. It's not reflected at all. And uh, also, well, as regards, uh, yeah, the blame was put back on the, again, on the mother's family. Why didn't their mother's uh, parents keep her in the house? Why did they send her into those homes? They were blackened entirely. Whereas from talking to survivors and talking to the few mothers that are left from Chum, they were absolutely, they, it wasn't possible for them to stay at home and have the baby, to send the baby to school locally, and, and also that they couldn't come back after, they couldn't come back with the baby or even come back without the baby. Yeah. There are various instances of this where a priest would intervene again and he would say to the family, you know, that she's, she's a bad influence in the neighbourhood. They would, they would be told that at the time. And, and I mean to say, we know back in those decades the, 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 nobody would go against the priest. The power of the, the church. The, yes, yeah. the power, yeah, the coercion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it was very, very unfair of Michal Martin as well to come out and say that we as a society are to blame. He more or less said that at the very beginning and that was wrong and so, so wrong. And I do hope that uh, I do hope that the commission will have to explain themselves and just say what what they were, the pressure they were under and how they had to had to to make do this report. And they might just give a little apology to say that their hands were tied or something. Mm. And maybe perhaps there'll be a bit of a there should be a bit of um, what would you call it? Maybe a questioning of the commission of inquiry and maybe a, a little extra piece added. For, you know, to just to say that that it wasn't, you know, just to take a bit of the blame off the off society and yeah, yeah, yeah. They should do that. You, they should retract some of it. You mentioned um, Galway County Council, and, and I want to talk about Galway County Council. They did issue this apology uh, this week. How difficult did they make life for you over the years? Well, I must say, Galway County Council made life very, very difficult for me. And their apology two days ago, three days ago, uh, didn't uh, mean much to me because it was the first time that they gave me any recognition in, in that form. Because up to that, up to that very point, they excluded me from every every little bit of information that they might have had. We did finally get a meeting with them, uh, uh, some of the survivors and myself, way back in 2014. They did allow us a meeting with them. And it, that was because uh, a TD, Trevor Cloherty, intervened and he just, he just uh, whatever way he did it, he got me in for a meeting. I then asked again, could I see some of their records? And they told me then that because I was not an academic, I could not possibly look at their records. And they said, they said that to me in front of a whole boardroom of people. Now, uh, then again, uh, with the intervention of Trevor Cloherty, He's retired now. He he asked them again to show me some records, that they should have to show me some records. So I was allowed in then in a locked room with the, uh, with the person sitting across the table and I was allowed to go through the, the uh, 1970 plans of the Dublin Road Housing Estate because that was very important because that was the time that I found that I did get some information there. There were memos and there was maps showing clearly that Galway County Council knew well about all the burials there. Now, uh, I did present that to the Commission of Inquiry. Now, again, I asked them on numerous occasions uh, what could, you know, what could, you know, to do something. 
But one thing I must mention, uh, back in 2017, when the remains were found, in, uh, the, uh, when the remains were found, and when Minister Zapone announced that those the remains that were found by the archaeologists did relate to the time of the tomb home. So now we knew that these were the tomb babies that were in that sewage tank. And I, I call it that. Everyone else calls it an, an undignified burial. They're afraid to say the word sewage tank, but that's what they're lying in. And then what the Galway County Council did, they came out a few weeks later and they brought out a voting system. They threw it open to the public of Ireland to say whether the babies should stay in the tank or whether they should be taken out. It was just like if you were voting for the Eurovision. There were five boxes you could take. Now, that was the greatest insult to the babies and to the to the uh, families who have babies buried and what there. was the result of that vote? The result of that vote was that I came out as much as I possibly could and and instigated that it, it was it, it was horrific what they were doing. First of all, they, um, they, they specified three special days in Tumen Hotel. First of all, the first day was for uh, the survivors to come and you had to pitch your, your vote to say why and what. And then the second day was for the people who lived in the tomb, in the, in the housing estate. Their wishes were more or less being put before the survivors. And, and they put, put in, I mean, there was nothing about the truth of it and the horrific, the horrific um, idea of babies in a sewage tank. And then the third day then was for the townspeople and anyone who wants to come. Now, it turned out the first day there was um, um, uh, way above, the, there was at least 50, 50 survivors in, in the hotel to come to say that, yes, take, take our family out of that sewage tank. The second day was for the Dublin Road housing estate, and I think about five people turned up from there. And then on the third day, I think they cancelled that day. So I mean to say it is quite obvious that uh, I mean, there shouldn't have been a voting system at all. No, no. Uh, I mean, the, the county council. Common are, decency yeah. would tell you that you would remove you would remove yeah. the remains of those little babies, and you give them a Christian yeah. burial. It's not a Christian burial, but you see, the county council as well. They were using the people on the housing estate to say that they were they didn't want this going on in their backyards in this area. I, um, you don't, I don't know if you know the area. There's a huge playground which there are burials. The playground covers a lot of, of burials as well. And they're kind of using using that mantra that we can't be upsetting the, the, the people in the Dublin Road housing estate. Whereas you're talking about three or four people that objected at the time and they're making a blanket statement of that. Now that is the and, kind and, of thing and, I've been and, up against. And even now today, following on from the Mother and Baby Home Commission report, has there been any talks about exhuming the bodies and, and giving giving them a, a, a Christian burial? Well, first of all, um, when Catherine Zappone was Minister for Children, she brought a team in from the United Nations. She set up uh, a committee uh, to examine the whole thing, and they came back with, with, the, with the result that these babies, in the first place, were buried illegally. They're, it's illegal the way they were buried. And yet, Galway County Council didn't take a scrap of notice of that. They just kept on with... with, with uh, they kept on trying to divert attention. That they, they kept on about a memorial, put up a memorial there, and everything will be fine. And uh, I don't know what kind of mentality they have because anyone would be absolutely horrified. And now with the government, uh, they, the government now have decided that they need legislation to to uh, to exhume the babies. Now I don't know where that came out of because if you find a body anywhere. You don't need legislation. And yet there are up to 800 babies in that area that need to be exhumed uh, with an illegal, indecent burial. 
and yet the government are still dragging their heels and I have to still keep fighting to ensure that... And do, do survivors want DNA testing done to try to work out who some of the babies yeah, are? Absolutely. Yeah. The survivors that I've been speaking to absolutely do. And not alone that, but in the last two weeks since the report was finalised, I've got dozens of letters and emails from people offering their DNA that they have a cousin there or they have a brother or sister there. These are ones I haven't heard of at all that have moved away from children. And these are people who obviously yeah. then, if a baby could be identified, probably yes. would want them buried with their own. They absolutely yeah. do. And they want even to verify that the child died because there is a suspicion over that as well. And they are asking me to ask the government to set up this DNA um, a base, you know, the, uh, yeah, a base, a DNA base. Well, DNA yeah, DNA yeah. database. Now, that, yeah. Is, that is no big deal because we know now, even with... Even with the sites, their ancestor DNA and that, within six weeks you will get, you can have your DNA and you can you can identify, uh, you can have that database there, who you are and what your, and what your yeah. DNA is. Okay, so listen, it's, it's no huge, it's, huge uh, it's, issue at all. It's an issue certainly that hasn't ended with the Mother and Baby Home Commission report. I think that a lot yeah. of people thought it would do. I think if yeah. anything, it's just opened up more yeah. cans oh, of worms and it's just but okay. again uh, it's the yeah. survivors that I think about they are the ones picking yeah. up the pieces and trying to get on with their own lives they need exactly. closure and this exactly. doesn't seem to be giving them closure It is not it, and okay. I don't know how Cork people are feeling or for Well we have, we have Besber yeah. so you can just you imagine how people are feeling you can, uh, exactly well, what well, you're well, feeling then, in tune we're feeling here in Cork as well I, I, hope, I hope people I hope Cork people will get behind those groups that are desperately trying to do the same thing because uh, I've said it before and I know they did test excavations but there are underground chambers as well on the grounds of Vesper and they must be investigated. Okay. All right, we'll speak again, uh, Catherine. Okay. In the meantime, thank you, thank you for that and stay thank safe. You, Look after thank yourself. You uh, bye bye, bye bye. Uh, the wonderful Catherine. Corliss uh, joining us from uh, Toome. Uh, somebody saying it is shameful to hear uh, what the council did to uh, Catherine. They should hang their heads in uh, shame. Uh, they were probably only trying to save the council's money. That is absolutely uh, shameful. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp 086 2103 103. And I want to open the text and the WhatsApps for our competition now. Uh, uh, please, uh, you need to send your entry in now and we'll leave it open for about 20 minutes because I don't want to block it all off for when we're doing gardening questions in the next hour. So you've got 20 minutes now. If you can share with us by text or WhatsApp only, please, that's a message, a card, an email, something that you got from family or uh, friends and send it in to us and we will select four winners who will each receive a hamper containing 12 delicious cakes from Coolmore Fresh Foods that began in a farmhouse bakery in West Cork in 1988 and the business has steadily grown now and are proud supporters of local jobs and businesses in Bandon and in uh, West uh, Cork. That's Coolmore Cakes, bakers of artisan loaf cakes in Bandon in West Cork. Get your texts and your WhatsApps into us, please, with a sweet messenger card that you received from a loved one. 1850 333 103. Cork today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance. 
Francis Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Anthony, by text following our interview with Catherine Corliss from Toombs, that it's unbelievable that these burial sites haven't been treated as a crime scene would be, as there are certainly lots of unanswered questions. If anybody was found out to have a baby buried in their back garden, they would be picked up fairly fast. It would be viewed as a crime scene and serious questions would be asked. That's from uh, Anthony. Thank you for that, Anthony. Now, the one real positive out of pandemic lockdowns is that people are finding themselves with more time on their hands and they're taking up all kinds of different hobbies. One such hobby is astronomy. And to talk to us about stargazing, I'm joined by David Moore of Astronomy Ireland. Good morning to you, David. Good morning. And, and you are welcome. Have you seen an increase in membership, particularly over the last year? Absolutely. It's been unprecedented. We were 30 years old last year and we have doubled our membership <laughs> in, in about a year, something we haven't been able to do in 30 years. So every cloud has a silver lining. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Is astronomy an expensive hobby? It can be absolutely free. A lot of, I think the reason a lot of people have been going out looking up in the night sky is it's there delivering itself to your doorstep free of charge every clear night. And people are fascinated when they see a clear sky. I mean, we're the world's most popular astronomy club in probably one of the world's cloudiest countries. And I think it's like the summer when the sun comes out and we all go berserk because we don't see it that often. And it's probably the same way with the stars, where if you live in California or somewhere nice like that, where it's clear every night, the stars are always there. It becomes a bit blasé. So the Irish have a great affinity for the night sky and people have been taking up this hobby. Perhaps they had it as a child when they were younger. Uh, or getting the whole family out. There's so much to learn about the sky. And, and, it, and, that, and that actually was going to be my next question. Is it something that all ages can get involved in? Yes, because that, our members run from t- tiny kids who've just discovered the curiosity and they're wondering about the universe that they're a part of, right the way up to retired people. A lot of retired people, in fact, because before pandemics, they had more time. So we, we see a huge range of interest across our membership, and we try to cater for the general public. I think that's why we're the world's most popular. We're, we're not really for the people who have giant telescopes or certainly not scientists. Uh, we're for people who have a fascination with a bit of stargazing, finding out all the latest discoveries about the universe, and especially from an Irish angle. So we have a substantial section of the magazine that tells you what to see in the sky, but also reports on what people have been seeing. There's the International Space Station flying over these evenings, Mars is is very high in the sky. Mercury's making a rare evening appearance. Next month, there are going to be three spacecraft that arrive at Mars. That's going to be all over the news then. This is getting ready for the colonization of Mars. This century is the century that space exploration is going to explode. It'll be the same way that aviation took off in the last century. You're running online classes. Is, is that a first for you? Yes, we started doing it last year. During the, the, the first lockdown, uh, we had to. We were thinking about it before then, but then everything had to go online, so that just accelerated the whole thing. We used to run 12 different physical locations around the country, and that was always tricky. Now we can do it not only all in one go, but also people can watch it from the comfort of their own home in their onesie if they want. <laughs> and the whole family can now sign up. There's a small fee, and the whole family can watch for the same fee because we send one copy of the magazine to the household. They can all gather around a laptop or 
a TV if you can cast it onto that and enjoy the talks. You can ask questions. It's aimed at the general public. No knowledge of science required. Uh, I think that's important. I mean, yeah, because I think people might get intimidated thinking, oh, sure, I don't know anything. I mean, you are pitching it literally from beginners up. Yeah, this is the idea is you might have seen a Brian Cox documentary on BBC or something like that, or just wondered what's that thing up there in the sky. And this is what the classes are aimed at. In fact, they started off about 20 years ago, I think it was now, with people who were reading some of the articles in the magazine. And the magazine is always, always going to be a collection of simple articles to something for the people who know a bit already. And some people want to know everything, and they wanted some classes. So we thought, well, we'll explain everything from the ground up. No maths. No, no science covered in school necessarily, just, you know, what's out there? How do we explain it in simple terms? There is actually an advanced class we run during the summer where people already know a bit, but this one is the beginner. So it's for the whole family, kids, non-scientists. Uh, it's, you'll enjoy just sitting back and listening to the talks every Wednesday evening for eight, eight Wednesdays. And you, if you learn something, you might even want to make right. it into a career. Some people have. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's on tonight then, is it? Is it kicking off tonight? Yeah, you can sign up right now online if you go to astronomy.ie. Couldn't be simpler than that. That's Astronomy Ireland's website. You'll see there it's blazoned all across the front page for the next week. And in fact, if you missed the first class, don't worry. You can actually watch them for at least a week. And then each class is self-contained. So you don't have to, they don't build on the knowledge of each class because you'll be covering planets one month, the Big Bang the next week, sorry, etc., so people can sign up at any stage between now and the end of the eight weeks and they'll be repeated again in October. And if you miss any of the classes, you can reset them for free in the October. Brilliant. So go to astronomy.ie, sign up and, and discover the universe with Astronomy Ireland. OK, we wish you luck with it, uh, David. Uh, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. My pleasure. Thank good, you very good much. Good morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is the uh, the lovely David Moore of Astronomy Ireland. If uh, stargazing, as I say, so many people are taking up hobbies, and of course, a big, big hobby. I think certainly since the pandemic began, was people heading out into the garden. People dug their garden like they never dug their garden before, and people took to uh, gardening. And certainly, it was reflected right across last year in all of our gardening slots uh, with Peter Dowdle and he always takes the month of January off because it isn't typically a time for being out in the garden but it's gorgeous now already you can see in the garden that life is beginning I always kind of look at my garden and think it goes to sleep for the winter and it's already starting to wake up which is a great excitement and it means spring is on the way and then after spring hopefully a long hot summer and the reason I'm mentioning all of that is Peter Dowdell is back with us for our first gardening slot of 2021 It'll be after half past 12 today. So if you have a question for Peter, uh, you can get it in to us, uh, please. But at the moment, we are looking for your texts to come in for our Cool More Fresh Foods competition where we have those hampers of cakes. And it is by text and WhatsApp only to 0862 103 103. A sweet message card or email that you've received. Tell us about it, please. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Denise listening to my interview with Catherine Cor- Corliss in West Cork. So Patricia listening to the wonderful Catherine Corliss and she is wonderful. I am so cross with the present government not to mention past ones. If Toome and Besber and God knows how many others where there are sites where they, if they were in any other country authorities would be instructing the site to be taped off as a crime scene. Yet 
Why not here too, says Denise, who says the crimes committed to mother and baby homes are akin to social ethnic cleansing at, at their time. Said Denise, very, very annoyed to see. And she's still fighting. The woman is still uh, fighting. And Hanny says, how come the fathers got off uh, scot-free? Hanny, the question that is always asked whenever the issue of mother and baby homes uh, comes up for sure. 1850 Jimmy says, Patricia, so deeply shocked and saddened to hear your hear of the passing of Cara O'Sullivan may she rest in peace such a joyful bubbly and vivacious person and full of enthusiasm always she made you feel good even just to see her her smile said so much and as you said her generosity to different causes Uh, my sincere condolences to her family and to her friends for a lady taken much too early for everyone and that's from Jimmy Wiseman in Bantry well put Jimmy thank you for that and we will be remembering the wonderful Cara O'Sullivan in the next hour on the programme and also in the next hour we'll be giving away our Coolmore uh, foods uh, or Coolmore food cakes the hampers we'll be giving those away and we'll have Peter Dowdrell joining us answering all of your gardening questions if you have a gardening question you can get uh, them into us as well please 1850 333103 text our WhatsApp 0862103103 I'm going to take a break and we have news at 12 midday on the way Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm Life and Health Insurance, CMIG.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Let me give. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Our winners for today of our gorgeous hampers which are coming to us courtesy of Coolmore Cakes Bakers of Artisan Loaf Cakes in Bandon in West Cork we have each hamper four winners each day each hamper contains 12 cakes you've got two 
chocolate fudge cakes, two carrot cakes, two lemon cakes, two salted caramel cakes. Who doesn't love salted caramel? There's also a coffee and a walnut cake. There's a ginger latte cake, a black forest gato cake. Sounds just yum. And there's also a chocolate orange cake. And our four winners today, and thank you to everybody who took time out to send in some of the most gorgeous, sweetest, kindest messages uh, from people. But our four winners for today. Hi, um, my name is Krista Sullivan. I want to enter the draw for the cakes. My birthday was on St. Stephen's Day last year during the lockdown, obviously, and my fabulous neighbours organised a drive-by birthday bash for me. I was so surprised and shocked. I thought it was the Wren boys we were having. It was such a lovely thing for them to do. I was astonished. It really made my day. I have such a great bunch of neighbours. I actually felt so humbled by it all. And that's from Chris O'Sullivan in Wheeling. Well done, Chris. You have won one of our hampers of cakes. Esther is in Barclay. My son lives in Australia. He had a beautiful baby girl who's now nearly a year old and we haven't seen her yet. At Christmas they sent us her first baby bottle and dummy. Ah, Her hand and footprints on a canvas, a beautiful photo album and a teddy made of her first baby gross. They also sent a jigsaw to my other son and when you made up the jigsaw the jigsaw read out asking him to be godfather I miss them all so much oh that's heartbreaking but so sweet at the same time what a gorgeous son and daughter-in-law you have what great kindness to do that for you well done that's Esther O'Keefe and Bartlemy Esther you're winning one of our hampers today Patsy is in Ballymakira I'd like to tell you about my very kind sister. I live on my own and since the first lockdown last March she sends me telly bingos in the post every single week. It's not just now. She's kind. She used to send telly bingos to my late husband who was housebound and once requested his name to be mentioned on the programme and he got the shock of his life when you called it out. He's gone now almost 18 years. She's a very busy woman. She's a wife. She's a mom to four grandchildren and uh, she's a nurse in Bantry Hospital. She's Sheila O. O'Donnell O'Connell from Kildamarcha and this is sent in by Patsy O'Donoghue from Ballymakira. You can decide between you Patsy who's going to win that hamper but well done and you do sound like you have a wonderful wonderful kind sister. Well done Sheila and uh, stay safe particularly in your work at the hospital. And then our final winner today is from Anne in Bandon who says hi my aunt-in-law passed away last week. Ah May she rest in peace. It was after a heroic four-week battle with cancer. Her niece lives in Cairo and I kept in touch with her during our aunt's illness with daily comings and goings. After the funeral, I got a beautiful text saying that although she had lost her aunt, she felt she'd gained another Cork cousin. It was just so sweet and we're both only children and therefore we uh, we cherish each other as cousins. That's from Anne. Oh, Anne, that's, uh, that's nearly going to make me cry. Uh, that's lovely and well done of your cousin while she's going through the grief of losing her much-loved mother to take the time out to send you that uh, message. Stay uh, safe. And you've won for yourself one of those lovely hampers. Compliments of our good friends at Coolmore Cakes, bakers of Artisan Loaf Cakes in Abandon. We will do it all over again tomorrow. So uh, we will tell you when you can text in your entries for the competition. So don't do it beforehand because we only select the winners 
in the time period in which we ask for the texts because so many texts come in that if you send them in earlier on we, we don't get to see them and we won't get to see them until after the show and then it will be too late for you to enter so we'll do it again tomorrow. So it now frees up the text message service please for questions for Peter Dowdle who is going to be doing our gardening slot our first one of the new year. If you have a gardening question for Peter get it into us now. You can text or WhatsApp now to 0862 103 103 or you can call John Paul at 1850 Let me look at some of your other texts and, and calls that have been coming into the programme uh, today. A listener very disappointed to hear that AstraZeneca pulled out of the talks with the EU today. I have to say I was on air this morning when that news uh, broke. That was really disappointing as well. Listener feels things are getting worse. Where does that leave Ireland? Bottom of the pile again. And our politicians pinning all the hope on the vaccine. And right across Europe, we backed the Euro as Europeans, we backed the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. It's a great vaccine. There's nothing wrong with the vaccine. But we 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 backed that one. That's where we kind of we saw that as the first vaccine, as the one that was most likely as well to get approval first, I think. And I certainly would have thought, and I followed all of the research and all of those vaccines so carefully. And I kept banging on about the Oxford one saying that's going to be the game changer. That's the one that's going to give us most hope. And obviously, across the Europeans the powers that be uh, were seeing what I was seeing as well and decided, yeah, let's go with the, with the AstraZeneca one. And they piled billions. They sent billions to AstraZeneca to help with the speed up of the rollout of the vaccine. And that's why Ursula van der Leyen, I was, saw her on the news yesterday and she was fuming. You could see how annoyed she was. And that's why they made the decision to call them in today to say, guys, you've got questions here and we need the answers to them. And then they pulled out of the talks. Where does it leave Ireland? Where does it leave the EU? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see if we get any further update. If Not before they close of the programme today, but we'll see what comes out from the rest of the day. But listen, the other vaccines continue to roll out. The Pfizer one and the Moderna one. We just haven't ordered as many of those as we have of the AstraZeneca. That's why we needed the AstraZeneca and it should be getting the approval on uh, Friday. OK, what else is coming in? Um, hi, uh, Patricia. Oh, this is on Catherine Cornish, the mother and baby homes that we dealt with in the last hour. Uh, Michal Martinez Taoiseach was wrong to blame society two weeks ago when he stood up in the door to talk about the mother and baby home report as the church with state collusion made those girls outcasts of society with their draconian beliefs and built up a stigma in society. The Peggy McCarthy Listole tragedy really showed what was happening in this country under their fists of power. I have to look into that. I don't. That's not one that registered uh, with me. I all, And I did think of her the day that the mother and baby home report came out was the Anne Lovett case and what happened to Anne Lovett and that was in the 83-84 so the country we were still living in the dark ages even in the 80s when it came to girls becoming pregnant outside of marriage the unmarried mothers and look what happened to Anne Lovett Uh, she died in in the grotto and her little baby died with her it was just and that shocked that shocked the entire nation. OK, Patricia, says the listener, can you please put some clarity for me on construction lockdown? A local house nearby is under total renovation. Workers have been coming and going since construction lockdown on the 8th of uh, January and they're still there. The house is not social housing. Are they breaking the lockdown rules, Margaret and Bandon? I'd be very surprised if they are breaking lockdown rules. Some, I know, uh, essential building works they continue to go ahead and they also you were allowed to 
complete construction if something was near completion. So I'm assuming it probably fell in under those rules that it was near completion. And you remember there was a bit of confusion about agricultural building work that was going on and we had to get clarification on that. So no, I can't see any builder heading into work under the risk of getting stopped by the Gardaí to ask where you're going and to say we're doing a job that we're not meant to be doing. So yes, I would say they're probably well within their rights. I'm assuming they're finishing off uh, a job. Oh, on the oranges. Remember the Seville oranges? Somebody was asking, wanted to buy Seville oranges somewhere in the Bandon area. I'm told Uru Culinary Store in Bandon is where you can get the Seville oranges. And somebody else is saying the same thing. You can actually, can you order them online? Because somebody has said www.uru U-R-R-U Uru.ie The Culinary Store, the Cork Irish they, they do Cork Irish Artisan Hampers and Culinary Gifts as well. They're on McSqueeny Key in Bandon. And Sharon and Van says happy marmalading is it this the time of the year for marmalading it is so anyway to that listener in Bandon at Uru Culinary Store on McSweeney Key off you go to get your uh, gorgeous oranges to make your marmalades hi Patricia when you're talking about vaccines when they do arrive. Will the GPs be able to give the vaccines to any patients they want? No. We had Dr Mike Thompson, a GP on the programme on Monday giving us great detail on how the vaccine when it does arrive and it will be rolled out. The GPs will get so many, a little bit like the flu vaccines and even when they get them then they will have very strict guidelines like they will be told initially you give it to your over 85s. They'll have to submit I'm assuming a list of how many over over 85s that they have and then they'll give it to the over 85s then it'll go back to the over 80s, the over 75s and and to the over 70s and even listening to Dr Mike there'll be no such thing as leftover vaccines they will have their list. Say, for example, they know they're getting 100 vaccines on Monday morning. Then they will clear the decks and they will be all set and ready in the surgery to bring in 100 patients to have the vaccine. And they will have a backup list of probably 20 or 30 patients who they'll be told, you're on the backup list. If for whatever reason somebody turns up, be available to get a phone call from us to come in. But So it will be very strictly followed. That's what we're told is going to happen. And that'll be with, with every GP. So no, it isn't a case of a doctor opening up their patients' files and saying Asher Mary's more deserving of it than Johnny is. If Mary's in the wrong age group and Johnny's in the right age group, then Johnny's going to get it over uh, Mary. Hi Patricia. Yesterday I felt it was a black day for everybody with the Thornister hinting that next Christmas might be no better. But with the Five Nations coming soon, are we actually going to leave teams into this country to play rugby matches. The GAA are already on about going ahead with their matches at the end of March. Where are the country's priorities? How are other people feeling about having matches? Now, some will say that people like the idea of being able to watch a match on TV, obviously, for their mental health and people take great comfort out of uh, matches. But there will be others, I think, will agree wholeheartedly with you. And if we're going into a full lockdown that we're in at the moment, then surely that should include all sports as well. And then another listener says, Patricia, a couple who live nine kilometres away. How do I know it's nine kilometres away? I measured it on Google Maps, says this texter, are coming walking by where I live nearly every day, even though we're supposed to not go outside our five kilometres. I know there are plenty of walks near where they live. It really annoys me that people are ignoring the rules and I feel like reporting them 
Is that wrong? I just think, why can't people do what they are told take care? Because you'll always have people who are going to break rules. And as we've said countless times, there'll never be a vaccine for ignorance or stupidity. And I will say it, as I say to everyone, look after your own patch. Don't worry what the neighbours are getting up to. Don't worry what that couple are, are getting up to. Let them go off and do their own thing. You stick to it. You do what you know is the right thing to do. You'll never get through to people if they want to go outside their 5k and they're probably thinking, I'm sure we great we're going outside the 5k. But they never know, come at the day, come at the hour. They never know when they might be stopped by the Gardaí and we're being told that the Gardaí are going to be increasing uh, checkpoints so they could get stopped uh, one day and get a very nasty surprise for being outside their 5k uh, because they're talking about now, the, at the moment it's a 100 euro fine but they're even talking about increasing that further and it could go to 500 euros so they could be out in a very expensive walk so you keep doing what you're doing just don't worry about them and John says hi Patricia how long do the vaccines last for do we know yet we don't we we literally don't know yet there's talks that we may have to get a booster every year I did remember I had a piece on where I had a was he a UCC professor it's a study that's coming out of America I think uh, where it has to be peer reviewed yet but they are of the belief that the vaccines that have been used at the moment could give between three and up to five year immunity and they're also thinking that the immunity could be there for people who had COVID but it's just early days yet so as of now we simply don't know could be a bit like the flu and we all end up getting a, getting a COVID jab as people get a flu jab every year but too early to say 1850 333 lines open The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice see corkcoco.ie And Cope Foundation are appealing for people to participate in their 300,000 Steps Challenge that's running throughout the month of February. You register online at cope-foundation.ie forward slash February Challenge. It's to raise funds for projects and programmes that empower and support people with intellectual disabilities or autism who cope work with across Cork City and uh, County. And the Cork County Council's Community 19 Community Support Programme is back up and running and it coordinates a community response. It assists vulnerable people with their daily needs. So if you or anybody else needs help in accessing non-emergency and it has to be non-medical support or if you're just looking for advice, you just simply want to talk to somebody, you can call their dedicated confidential free phone number on 1-800-805-819. 1-800-805-819. You can also text them at 085-870-9010. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now many, many, many tributes have been paid following the death of one of Ireland's most celebrated sopranos, one of our own, the much-loved Carol O'Sullivan, who sadly passed away after a short uh, illness uh, yesterday evening. She was described as having one of the finest voices of her generation. To pay tribute, Elmarie Moore, presenter of the Arts House show here on C103, uh, joins me. Uh, good afternoon to you, Elmarie. Hey, Patricia. And um, it's very sad thing. Indeed. And you know, I when I heard the news yesterday, I thought about you because, I, I mean, I'd interviewed Cara many times, but you would have interviewed her many, many more times than any of us who do the current affairs chat shows, the very nature of the show that you do. Did you end up becoming a friend of hers? 
Well, you see, the thing is, it was very hard not to be friends with Cara, really, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, like, really, she was just such a grover, warm, open person. And um, I, I, I don't think anyone would think of Cara today without feeling that they had some kind of a personal connection to her, even if they only met her once. I was lucky enough that through the arts program, I suppose I would have gotten to know her a little bit better and would have had tea and coffee in her house to be producing the biscuits and maybe a few grapes then. We'd never touch the grapes, <laughs> but they'd be there to pretend, you know, that we were, uh, I suppose, being healthy. Yeah. But the two of us, you know, I mean, like on a personal level, the two of us battled always with our weight and like she would have done various uh, schemes the same as myself so we'd swap notes and all that kind of stuff besides of course all of our long history through music but I actually first met Cara when I was a child and she was a, a teenager because her family had a mobile home in our caravan park in Garrettstown oh. and so one of the very first times I heard Cara singing was when I was a small girl and she would have been like a, a teenager singing with her guitar playing in the coach house of Garrettstown House. Oh, so that's a lovely memory. That's that's like a long, long, long. Was time. she was she aware of how talented she was? You know, did she have an ego about her talent? Oh my God! You know what? She had a value, I think, on talent, and she had a value on herself, and that is not the same as having an ego, yeah, at all. And I think it's a very important thing, you know, that as an artist, like, of course, she couldn't have sung in the Cardiff Singer of the World, the Sydney Opera House, the Royal Albert Hall, America, all over, Sydney, the National Concert Hall, without being aware of how, how incredible how, this gift was. How good she was. But at the same time, there was absolutely no ego with it. I mean, like, she wouldn't have missed singing in St. Francis Church on North Main Street for Mass at Christmas. And there was people who went to Mass on Christmas Eve to hear her. who never went inside a door of a church otherwise just to hear her sing yeah. Oh Holy Night. And the number of times that she would have given freely of her talent as well. You know, she, she knew what her voice meant to people and it just gave her pure joy to share that as well. But as a professional, she understood the value of the artist and she would have also encouraged and nurtured and sheltered and protected and advised so many other singers coming up behind her as well but it was their very first concert maybe taking part in a recital in the Cork School of Music or maybe it might have been an, an early professional performance for another singer who was coming into the opera house for the first time Cara's dressing room was always crack. Always. Well, I that's mean, the one thing I've heard. Up, I, I've heard from more people that she, when 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 Cara would walk into a room, she would light up a room, and people oh. almost radiated towards her. <laughs> she did because she great crack, and it's the thing. It's what you saw on stage was what she was exactly. She didn't have uh, a public persona, and then Cara in private. Cara shared herself. I mean, if anyone who went to, and she had that beautiful. An Evening with Cara, which was produced by Pat Talbot, who nurtured the shaping of that performance and enabled Cara to go around the country and, and doing that. And in that, she was saying everything from her arias and oratorio to folk songs and songs from her childhood and things that meant a lot to her. And she chatted. 
and she shared anecdotes. And it could be about, I don't know, crossing Patrick's Bridge and meeting someone by. Or it could be about the stagehands backstage in London and running up the rigging. And, you know, it could be anything. She had a funny twist and a funny story because she engaged with everybody. You know, there's so many times I would have been at, say, the dress rehearsal for something where she was singing with an orchestra and she would walk out on stage. The orchestra would have warmed up singing, but she would turn around and beam at the musicians and thumbs up say, you're playing a blinder, lad. You know, I mean, <laughs> she, she just connected with everybody. Yeah. And she, and she, you know, I, I mentioned at the top of the programme how people in Cork adored her. Mm. And she adored Cork. Oh, you know, something you hear people talking about all over the place this morning, she was one of our own, mm. you know, and that's the way she was. Everybody says that she was a friend because, like, she could throw on the glitz, throw on the diamante, uh, you know, put on the makeup, have the hair in an upstyle, and come out onto the stage of the National Concert Hall and sing. Or she could throw on a pair of jeans and a monster rugby shirt and go out onto the pitch in Thunder Park and roar at everyone to come on and stay up because they weren't getting it enough ready to psych up Munster before they went to night. I mean, her relationship at that level was just phenomenal. You know, stand up and fight. She fervently believed it. She wasn't just engaged for a singing performance. Like, it actually went so far, that connection with Munster, where I don't know how many years ago it is now, but it was some one of those, like, big matches where Carol was booked to sing, but she had to be flown in to sing, and by God was she flown in to sing, and not only that, there was a piano brought onto the pitch mm. to mark the occasion, like, besides all the times she would have sung with a backing track or whatever like that to, to do it, you know, and she she whipped everyone up into a fever. <laughs> she was amazing, she you was know, amazing. We you'll, you'll, uh, you'll, mi- you'll miss her, Elmarie? I will. I miss her on a, a load of levels. I mean, I have that CD that I would quite often play on Sunday mornings called Cara Dina. There's a number of beautiful tracks on that. What's missing off those tracks is the live feedback of an audience just bursting into applause in her final note. But in that CD are just the most incredible little jewels of popular songs And that is that is the one thing that I did, that the fact that she's died and we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, it'll oh, be obviously a small the, the size of life. that funeral would have been just unreal. Okay, and no doubt you will be remembering her on the program next Sunday. We will, of well, course. Okay, okay. We will, of course. All right, listen, Anne Marie. Th- thank you for that, and uh, and I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us today. 
Not at all. And we'll thank. Bye bye. And we'll go and we'll listen to. I can. I only have chance. Just a short little piece, just to remember the great voice that was uh, Cara O'Sullivan. What a voice, what a voice. That's the late, uh, now the late, great Cara O'Sullivan. And a reminder to you that the Lord Mayor of Cork Councillor Joe Kavanagh has just opened a book of condolences. It went live at uh, 12 noon this morning, www.corkcity.ie if you want to sign that book of uh, condolences. And keep your gardening questions coming in, please, for Peter Dowdell. He's going to join us in a couple of minutes. And thank you to Jim for reminding me of this and I meant to do this yesterday and it just the show got too busy and it ran away with me I meant to remember and ask people to keep in your thoughts the wonderful Vicky Phelan as we know we saw Vicky Phelan on the late later a couple of weeks ago on the weekend that she was heading over to the States yesterday she actually started her first round of treatment in uh, America and I saw her on Twitter she put up a little piece she was actually in the same hospital where the Vice President uh, Kamala Harris was getting her second COVID vaccine uh, shot. There were different parts of the hospital, but uh, Vicky saw that as something really good and really positive uh, for her, which which it was. So just to keep Vicky feeling in our thoughts and in our prayers, she's on this incredible journey and she's doing it on her own. She's over in the States on her own, uh, getting this uh, treatment in the hope that she can keep her cancer at bay. She's just the, she is just the most uh, incredible woman. And I just want to mention her and just to, if you're into light and candy, are saying prayers. Please include Vicky feeling in those prayers and thoughts. 1850-333-103. Let's take a break and we're back with Peter Dowdle. Court today on C103. With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Delighted to say for the first time in 2021, Peter Dowdle, the IrishGardener.com, uh, joins me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Uh, good afternoon, Trish. I was listening to you earlier and you were saying that, uh, and Peter, as always, takes the month of January off. Well, well <laughs> I don't, yeah. Peter didn't take the month of no, January off. No, that was, that was probably phrased very badly <laughs> in that well, you don't join us in the month of January. Which, uh, yeah, and have yeah, you been busy in the month of January? Oh, incredibly busy. Before, before I go into all that, can I just add my voice to those who will miss Carol O'Sullivan? I, I heard just chatting with Elmarie there a few minutes ago and... Oh, what a loss and what a pity. Yeah. She sang at my mother's funeral. And what a, Did she? What a, what a fabulous lady. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, she, yeah she adding was, my voice to, the, to, to those of yeah, millions. I've of, never yeah. seen such an out, a genuine outpouring of love. And uh, she was adored. She was absolutely adored. Yeah, lovely, lovely person. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what have you been up to in the month of January? Well, the month of January, it seems to be no different to the month of December, like the gardening is normally, as you know. I mean, well, gardening is seasonal, obviously, and what we do in the garden is seasonal. But those of us who work in the industry of that is gardening or horticulture, uh, the seasons have kind of changed this year because of, as you alluded to earlier on in the program, the, the huge increase in popularity due to the lockdown, I suppose, mostly, obviously, 
uh, the huge increase in popularity of gardening has meant that those of us working in gardening have never been busier, if you know what I mean, which yeah. is great. Yeah. It's fabulous. But, uh, but yeah, you, do, you don't get any... Um, uh, ease up in the month of January. <laughs> and <laughs> I was great. I was saying it earlier to uh, Ken uh, on on breakfast when I was teeing up that you were coming on the programme. You know, it, with everybody taking up hobbies and, you know, you're right, one of them is gardening. But it's brilliant for people's mental health because it's getting you outside as well. And you but can you know, while away hours without even realising it. Absolutely. And I've always been saying there's great therapy to be had in it. And what I found this year is, uh, as you know, I run this Facebook page, the Irish Gardener, and it's it has just exploded in, in activity and popularity, I suppose, over the last 12 months. It reaches now up to 300,000 people a week. It's, it's quite staggering. Uh, but what it's done is it's, it's become a community, if you like, that, that people and the amount of people that have said that through the page that the, the gardening has been their godsend over the last 12 months. Yeah. Gardening and working outdoors has what kept them anyway sane. So it's phenomenal. It's a fantastic pursuit, put it that way. Yeah, okay, let's get straight in with questions. Mary from Mallow says, uh, Hi Peter, welcome back. I have green fly in my glass house from last year. I'm spraying with vinegar and water at the moment. How can I get rid of it before spring? Do you think I need to change the earth? Uh, I should ask first if there are any other plants, if there are any plants in the in the glasses. Because if there are, they'd most likely be overwintering as eggs in the plant, more so than the soil. So I don't think you need to change the soil. Uh, what I would do is you can get what's called a winter, I think it's called a winter tree wash. It's, 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 it's Growing Success is the brand. Uh, and it's an organic winter wash. And what you do, what that is, is you, you would normally treat fruit trees and things like this with the winter wash to prevent aphids like green fly from, from overwintering in the, the tree. But you could drench, you could certainly wash the, the inside of the greenhouse with this winter wash. There's several of them on the market. Not all of them are environmentally sound, but the growing success one uh, is an organic one. Um, some of them are based on tar oils, which is what we don't want to be using. But uh, the growing success winter, winter tree wash is what I would treat it with. Okay, Helen says, uh, question for Peter, please. Is it too late to move a wedding tier tree? It's just starting to bud. It's about five or six years old, planted in my garden, but I want to transfer it to another family member's garden. What care should we take uh, with moving it? Any small trees that are budding now, is it too late to move them? Thanking you. Love your gardening tips. That's from Helen. Thank you, Helen. But the, the, the answer is no, it's, it's not too late. We're still in January and the temperatures are, OK, not right now, but the temperatures up to now have been relatively low, so, which is good news if you want to move something because that keeps the plant dormant because when you move any plant, uh, there is going to be a certain amount of root damage. That's inevitable. So we do it during the dormant period so that the plant gets a chance to repair that root damage before it starts actively growing in the spring. So I think that the, the wedding cake tree, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a common name given to various plants. One is Cornus controversa variegata, a mouthful of a name. And it's probably that that she's talking about, but it's also, called, it's also put on Viburnum marisei, which is also called the wedding cake tree. Either one, the same, the same would be true. Get as big a root ball as possible. I think there's still a, a couple of months off of actually those buds opening. So get as big a root ball as possible. Uh, I'd normally, too, when I'm moving anything, I would prune them quite hard to counteract the root damage. But really, you see, the whole point of the wedding cake tree is it's grown for that shape. It's grown for this magical tiered shape uh, that, it, that it develops naturally. So I'd be very slow to prune it. So don't prune it. Get as big a root ball as possible. Move it immediately from its new home, from its old home into its new home. Don't leave it out of the ground for any length of time. And just to give an idea, I know this won't be practical, I'm sure, if it's five or six years old, but 
maybe it will be. If you can imagine dropping a piece of thread from the outermost branch, that's where your outermost root will be. So, if, in other words, if the branches are two metres in diameter, then you need a two-metre root ball, which isn't going to be feasible, obviously. But just bear that in mind that, that the, the, you get as big a root ball as possible. OK, a listener says, I've just purchased a polytunnel. Good luck with that. I plan to cover the soil with weed block. Is it a good idea to cover the soil first with bark? And would pine bark be OK? When can I start setting? Bark or pine bark, either bark would be fine to use as, as, as a mulch, as a weed block. It depends what you want to grow because the pine bark could be quite acidic. Uh, any of the bark could be quite acidic, uh, which isn't bad, don't worry, but just some plants like brassicas, cabbages, etc. would want limey soil. Um, when she says a, a weed block, I'm hoping that they don't mean a, a, one of those plastic woven weed block materials because they're very damaging to the soil. They end up, the soil gets compacted under them because the earthworms and these magicians in the soil can't do their job when this plastic barrier is on top. So don't, my advice would be don't under any circumstances use this, this weed block material. You can get uh, biodegradable and compostable weed block materials which would be excellent for one or two seasons because the worms can munch away on that. It does then become part of the soil but it will keep it weed free for a year or so. The other the other reason you would use that then is um, to help retain moisture but if if you just want to, to put a, a bark or a, or a pine bark or a pine nugget as your mulch, if you put that on deep enough, that will, and deep enough here is about three inches, so if you put it on deep enough, that will prevent weed growth and it will also help to retain moisture in the soil, which is going to be important during the summer months in a polytunnel. Um, so the, the, use either, bar, either mulch or the organic weed block. It makes them uh, hemp and flax leaves. Um, but don't use the plastic. And either. can I start setting soon, says the listener? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You could start setting a lot of the seeds. Mad now. for roads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, indoors, you see, you're lucky if you've got a tunnel or a gas house because you can start a lot of your seeds now indoors uh, with the view to either growing them completely in the tunnel or planting them out when, when weather's mixed in kind of April and May. But yeah, you could certainly start seeds with a lot of the plants now. Okay, a question in from a listener. Can I remove, can I move rose bushes to another part of the garden is now the right time to do it? Exactly the same advice as with the, the wedding cake tree. Yes, now is the right time to do it. The only difference here being that you could cut, the, you should cut the rose back very hard. I said not to with the wedding cake tree, but with the rose, do cut it back very, very hard, uh, like to within a foot of its life. Um, and the rose is quite different than that. It has a very definite taproot structure. So you, you won't get the root ball will kind of crumble when you take it out. Um, take it out, take as much of the root system out as you can. Any damaged root, at the end, give them a clean cut. So anywhere that's been scraped or scrawled with the shovel or spade, you give that a clean cut with the secretaries and move it straight into its new home. And then with the rose, as with the, the wedding cake tree earlier, which I didn't mention, lend you plenty of water over the next 12 months. Hi, from Anna. Gardening question for you, could you Is it okay to use tomato feed on my rhubarb? They've begun, they've begun to shoot already. I'm wishing you a happy and a healthy new year. That's from Anna. Many happy returns, Anna. Is tomato yeah, well, food okay? Anna, yes, absolutely. But just make sure it's a, an organic tomato food because uh, and a, a good quality one because um, not all tomato foods are, are organic. So I would look for something like the, the, the Nature Safe, Nature Safe, which is an Irish product. Uh, they do a tomato food with, with Atlantic seaweed, which is sustainably harvested seaweed as well. So that's, that's an excellent quality range of plant foods. I've been using for the last two years, and they're excellent. So nature, nature safe tomato, tomato food is one I would use. A Christmas cactus that flowered, has stopped flowering, flowered beautifully this year. Listener wants to know, should she repot it? It hasn't been repotted since it was purchased, and it looks like it's getting a bit squashed in the pot. 
you know what I would say in that situation if it looks like a jet it will benefit from it but I wouldn't don't, don't kill it with kindness but don't, don't put it into a much bigger pot only go maybe an inch or two bigger in diameter but yeah repot away Okay hi I bought a flowering azalea last week but it's in a very small pot should I repot it now or plant it out? It depends uh, what that depends on is if it's an outdoor or an indoor azalea because a lot of the indoor azaleas and it might be news to some that, that there are such things as indoor and outdoor azaleas, but they're not all outdoor. Some are grown as houseplants. I think there'll be azalea indicas, uh, and they do tend to come in tiny, tiny pots. Um, yeah, whether or which I would repot it. If it's an indoor one, yes, put it into a bigger pot and it'll thrive. If it's an outdoor one, um, either put it straight into the ground or into a bigger pot, yeah. Uh, Mary in County Turk says, I feed my roses with potato manure every year, but spots appear on the leaves when they open. The flowers are beautiful, but it's the leaves have spots. Uh, they are well fed. What could be the cause? Sounds like black spot, it, is it? It probably is rose black spot, absolutely. I would say yes. It, it, now, it, it could be connected with the potato manure or not, because it's funnily enough, it would be a similar type of fungal infection that, um, than as potato blight. It would be similar. Um, so it could possibly, oh no, it's potato fertiliser, sorry, I thought you were using the soil for the potatoes. Um, the potato fertiliser won't be causing it, it is getting black spots, so it's it's just our climate is warm and damp, which is conditions ideal for the development of, of black spot and rose mildew and these other infections. Pruning, cultural control, which is what we refer to as, as, as good pruning and good plant hygiene, is probably the best. Uh, ammunition we have in terms of preventing fungal problems like black spots. So when you're pruning it, which is this time of the year, try and make sure that you're avoiding, avoid leaving any crossing branches or any congested growth in the centre of the plant. So, so cut, prune it to about three or four main stems, each facing in different directions, away from the centre of the plant. Uh, and just at that magical time of the year, and hopefully in about a month or two's time, of what we call bud burst, which is when the growth comes back out and starts bursting through those dormant leaf buds and the plant comes back into growth, that's when you want to drench it with a solution of copper sulfate and water at that time of the year because that it's an organic broad-spectrum fungicide which will help to prevent the development of these fungal problems such as uh, any of those weak spots and, and mildew. Okay, Pat has geraniums uh, growing outside in, uh, the, in a pot. They're last summers. Can they be cut back now? Also, ground cover rose in the middle of the garden. Can I prune that at the moment? The ground cover rolls in the middle of the garden, absolutely. Cut it back as hard as you want. Uh, that, that, that will benefit from being hacked back, for want to a better term. The, the, the geraniums that you have outside, first of all, I'm going to say tut tut because they should have been moved indoors for the winter, but, but you've got away with them. And we've had quite quite a few um, uh, harsh frosts over the last couple of weeks. So the fact that they're still alive You've done is well. good, is good, absolutely. Uh, I wouldn't cut them back now, though, particularly if you intend to leave them outside for the rest of the winter. Uh, no, I would wait till kind of April before I'd cut them back because um, you, you really, when you cut them back, you're going to be encouraging new growth. So that tender new growth is going to be very, very vulnerable to low temperatures. So, so leave it till we're out the other end. Mary wants to know, when is the best time to plant Leylandi? Can they be slipped? Do they need good soil? Do they make for good hedging? I was going to say they should come with a government warning, but they actually do come with a local authority warning. Now, you're not supposed to plant them except in rural situations. Certainly not allowed to plant them in cities or, or, or suburbs. Uh, they, do they make a good hedge? I never plant but that's not to say that they don't don't make a good hedge. They do what they say on the tin, if you like, Trish, in that they will grow into an impenetrable green wall very, very quickly. But the hesitancy in my voice is because... They, they're very, very quick going, but they, they don't know when to stop. They will get to 60 feet high and they can easily get to 20 foot in width. So they are 
plant them any time of the year. They tend to be grown in pots anyway if you're getting them. So something that's pot grown, you can plant any time of the year. They, they root very easily from cuttings taken on this year's growth to kind of August time, July, August, take cuttings and they, they root away. Uh, but be careful where you're planting them because they will get big and they're very, very quick growing and they require a lot of maintenance. Okay. So with all that, if you still want to plant them, go for it, but, but just be careful. Cheryl wants to know, is there anyone producing the good old catalogues? She wants to purchase good Irish seeds. She does want to get them on the on the internet. She wants to go the old-fashioned way of the catalogues. Does anybody produce catalogues anymore? There are a few companies. Now, to the best of my knowledge, in Ireland, there are only two companies that do uh, Irish-produced seeds and their vegetables. So the, you have seed savers up in County Clare and your brown envelope who do a fantastic range of of uh, vegetables. She's mentioned seeds. brown envelope seeds in the text actually Cheryl has. Yeah. And they are they, they, they they're are, the only ones. They're the top Irish. They, they, the seeds that brown envelope produced in terms of edible plants are just you know a, a league above anything that are suited to growing in Irish conditions because they've been harvested in Ireland. So for edible plants brown envelope I wouldn't look further. And um, I don't think, to the best of my knowledge, there is anybody in Ireland that produces ornamental flower seeds, except native wildflower mixes, which are available. They're available through my own website, or they will be in about a week's time, the native Irish mixes, um, uh, which are grown throughout throughout the country and harvested by in old-fashioned techniques. Uh, but there isn't a catalogue, I'm afraid. It is no. all online now. Okay. And the catalogues you'll get are probably international suppliers like English or Dutch, I'm afraid. And then be careful because you'll get loads of excess charges and all that if it's coming in through England. OK, I've got to leave it there. Have a great week and we'll talk to you next Wednesday. And you, thanks. Thanks a million. That's Peter Dowdle of the IrishGardener.com. And that's where we wrap it up for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. And we are back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a good afternoon and stay safe. Court today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance, cmig.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.